0: You guys ever get to the point where you're just too, too busy, uh, you know, where, where you're too busy, where you just don't have the margin or don't have the, maybe the wisdom or discernment to just hit the pause button every once in a while. Um, and and that, that shows up, I think, a lot of different ways, but, but sometimes I know we get too busy, where we're almost too busy for God. And if we get really in a bad spot, then we get too busy doing good stuff and we can't even break for the opportunities that God puts in front of us. So, I was thinking about two different stories. The first one was about 15 years ago. And it's uh, I'd just graduated Bible college and I'd started work at this church in Georgia. And uh, I, I was getting some stuff together. We had a meeting or something that night and I just had to get some supplies. And down there in Georgia, I mean, there was a Walmart uh, every other block. And so I ran to Walmart and I had about 15 minutes before my next meeting. And Walmart was like a three minute drive. And so that 6 minutes of driving that left me 9 minutes to get all the shopping done and you know I'm naive and I was like yeah I can do it. So you know I run through Walmart, get everything I need right on time, come out to check out and you know typical Walmart there's like 30 aisles and like two of them are open. So you know you sit there and kind of tapping your foot, waiting and waiting and finally get through, you know race through. I get out to my car and I back up and as I'm starting to pull out of the parking lot, I look over and here's what appears to be a single mom in a minivan, and she's got the door open. You can kind of see her cranking on it, and nothing's happening, and she's got a couple kids in back. And uh, my first thought was, you know, I I should probably stop and help her jump her car, Uh, which was a really good thought, probably what Jesus would have done. That was followed quickly by another thought of, oh, man, I'm going to be late. And uh, it's Walmart. There's tons of people here. they got a whole staff here with a car department. Somebody will help her out, and uh, she'll be fine. So uh, I started to pull out. And so I left and I made it all the way to the end of the aisle before I just felt like terrible. You know, I mean, it just felt, felt like dirt. So spun a circle, came back, pulled up, and just, you know, like the worst part was I pulled up there and got out. And as I got out, this little old lady jumped out of a Cadillac just like right across from her. And uh, she had these jumper cables in her, in her hands. And I mean, she was just kind of tottering. I mean, couldn't even stand up really well and kind of... And and the worst part was she had a shirt on that said something like praise Jesus or hallelujah. And it was just one of those where, you know, God's just like standing up there, just kind of chuckling and making an extra point. So she comes up to me and I mean, you know, she's like, she's got these jumper cables and she's like, I want to help, but I just don't know how to use these. And I mean, one of those where you just like feeling like dirt more and more, right? So, you know, we got her jump, no problem. She drove off. It was fine. I thought about that because like I'd been just too busy to even like pause for the opportunity that was right in front of me. Uh, And then fast forward about 13 years. Hopefully, I've grown up a little bit. So yesterday, I'm down in Billings and and picking up my in-laws from the airport. And uh, they were coming in at 1230. And uh, it seems like a lot of my stories that give me like tight windows involve shopping. So I had to make a Walmart stop for the church. had to pick up three Sam's orders, uh, two for the church, one for us. And so I was like, I can get all those done in like 40 minutes. So I was going to meet some friends for lunch. And so you guys are laughing, you know what happened. So 40 minutes did not happen, so I'm texting my friends, and I'm like, hey guys, I'm, I'm going to be late for lunch by, you know, a few minutes that turned into almost 25 minutes. So I get to lunch to meet them for lunch, and, you know, we only have like a short window, and you know, we, we see these, I see these guys every couple months, but, you know, they're good friends of mine, I really enjoy them, we enjoy hanging out. So we start talking and catching up, and, you know, we both have, you know, different stuff going on. And then our waiter walks up and just starts Unloading about his life and uh, man. He has some challenges. He got married. They got pregnant five days later uh, His wife has like a chronic disease that she's dealing with she brought two kids into the marriage He brought one kid into the marriage He was a bachelor who had like five guys living with him till they got married And I mean just kind of unloading all of this about you know now he's raising two girls and like working full-time here and and you know pretty soon it's five minutes and then ten minutes then 15 minutes and, you know, part of me is thinking, man, I got like 40 minutes with my friends here. I, I don't want to waste 15 of them hearing this story. But, you know, it was one of those where, you know, just kind of felt like God, God had given us that window. And, I'm, you know, my friends, Drew and Kaylee, they're just strong Christians. Oh, you guys know Drew Thompson and Kaylee. And so we were eating and just listening. And, and I just had a, a great conversation with this guy about how God's working. And, and come to find out, you know, he's, he's a believer but just needed some encouragement. And so it will be in this really cool conversation. And I thought about how, you know, 15 years ago, I was at a point, um, and, and to be honest, still am sometimes, where I just get so laser-focused on kind of my to-do list or what I need to get done or the things that I think are important, that sometimes God puts a golden opportunity in front of me, and I don't have the good sense to just say, you know what, God, like, you put somebody here, and I'm just going to do my best to, to be Jesus to this person right here and now. And, and yesterday, we just had the opportunity to spend about 20 minutes talking to this young man and, uh, you know, just had a, we're able to encourage him and, and talk to him and just have a, a really good conversation. And I thought about kind of the growth there. And I thought about that as I was looking at the text we're going to be in today. If you have your Bibles, open up Mark chapter 2. So this is, this is one of my favorite stories. And uh, this is one where Jesus, like, I mean, it shouldn't surprise us, but Jesus always had time for people. Like, if Jesus was doing something, Jesus always had time. Now, now, the thing was, Jesus wasn't ever unhealthy about it. Like Jesus always took time to recharge, and like we read about different times where Jesus would get up early and go off and pray, or you know, be out in the wild by himself. But whenever people showed up, like Jesus always made time for that. If you have a, a bulletin on the black on the back, there's some blanks. The first blank is this: is that divine appointments can happen any time. Be ready for them. So divine appointments, that, that's a term that a lot of people use for uh, just those, those times where God just inserts somebody into our life. You know, where, where we're doing something and someone shows up and all of a sudden someone here with an opportunity for us to just communicate or, live out or practice God's love for this person. And Jesus, I mean, I surprises not surprise us, but Jesus was the master of that. You know, Jesus was never too busy or too this or too that or too focused on... On you know the things he thought was important, which for Jesus, I mean, he's the only one who actually all the time had the priorities right. But he always had time for people. And I love this story, story that you know we're going to read about it. But that paralytic who he was trying to get in to see Jesus and his friends uh, couldn't get him there because he was on a stretcher and it was too crowded. So they actually cut a hole in the road, lowered him down in the middle of Jesus preaching, and Jesus in the middle of it paused and took care of somebody who needed it and so i think about that as you know i you know i mean obviously i don't think we're gonna have anybody cutting a hole in the roof today but i was just thinking about that and i was like man what would it be like in a sermon to have someone all of a sudden like have some pieces falling down and then look up and here's the stretcher being lowered and jesus right there is like hey i'm teaching a bunch of folks but this this is important let's take care of this person so let's start reading uh, verse 1 of Mark chapter 2 When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Um, one of the things about this is we don't know whose house this is, but this actually could have been Jesus' house. And so, like, it is actually probable that this may have been Jesus' own house that a hole was cut in the roof. And so, it's not like Jesus, is, you know, okay with damage to somebody else's house. I mean, he probably knew a carpenter, so, you know, he could get it fixed. Come on. All right, there we go. There we go. I'm sorry. That's terrible, but preacher jokes, you know? All right, so this is what we read. Verse two, many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So Jesus, he'd moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. He'd been traveling around just preaching the gospel, uh, doing a few things. You know, if you read Mark chapter 1, you know you read about the whole baptism, the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove. Jesus was tempted. Uh, Jesus uh, cast a a demon out of a guy. So he was starting to develop a name. And then he gets back to his house and he's at home. And all these people come and, you know... um, There's no room. So they've excavated a few houses there in Capernaum. And I think the biggest one they found is about, there was a room about 18 feet long. So so we're talking maybe 50, 60 people shoulder to shoulder. And so these people are in this room, you know, all crowded into the house. And well, back in those days, if you were teaching, you would actually sit down. You wouldn't stand. You would sit down and start teaching. And so he's just preaching the gospel. And this is what happened. They came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. All right, so roofs there, you know, they, they had joists kind of like we would. But then over that, uh, they'd have thatch and grass that they would kind of layer over. And then they would put a layer of mud over that and maybe some more thatch and so it was a roof that everybody had to redo their roof every year because during the rainy season at some point it would break through the mud and the dirt, uh, and then you would redo your roof so it would run down again. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, I mean, it didn't take a sawzall to get through. I mean, these guys just made a hole with their hands. But I think about these four guys. You know, they have a friend who's paralyzed, and they know Jesus here, and they've heard Jesus healed people other places. I don't know, maybe one of those guys was with and, and saw Jesus heal or cast this... You know, cast demons out of a guy, and all they know, you know, they don't know how he's going to do it, but all they know is if they can get their buddy in front of Jesus, that something is going to happen. And so, four guys, they try to take him there, and, and you, know, they, it's, you know, they get to some place like, you know, a little bit smaller than our lobby, and it's standing room only. And I mean, they got a stretcher. And, and you know, if you've been anywhere else in the world, America is one of the only places where we actually do lines. Most of their place in the world is just kind of a, a mob or a blob, you know, in elbows, shoulders, you do whatever you can to get towards the front of the line. So they're trying to move in and nobody's letting him in. And they look at each other, and, and I don't know how the conversation went, but these guys are problem solvers. They look at each other, they look at the roof, and they're like, I know what we can do. So they go up there, start peeling a hole in the roof. And so this Jesus is sitting teaching, you know, there's a whole crowd of people all pretty close to him. All of a sudden, you know, some dirt starts falling and some grass. And, you know, I, you know, people start, you know, oh, hey, where'd this come from? And all of a sudden, there's light peeking through. And then they look up, and here's this stretcher being lowered. And you know, ground. I mean, you know, they, they make room. And so this guy is lowered right in front of Jesus. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is a big deal. And the next blank is this, our faith impacts others. These four guys, like, it was their faith that impressed Jesus. And it's always faith that impresses Jesus. I mean, you know, it was the centurion um, who had the faith that Jesus would heal his servant in Luke chapter 7 from a long way away. It was the Syrophoenician woman in Luke chapter 8 who wasn't even an Israelite who came up to Jesus and like, hey, my daughter's sick, can you heal her? I mean, it's always faith that impresses Jesus this is one of those places where it wasn't actually the paralyzed guy. I mean, I imagine he's pretty hopeless because back in those days, if you're paralyzed, I mean, your only hope is to beg. I mean, you know, medicine, not very advanced then. So, I mean, you beg and literally you depend on other people for your livelihood. These guys are like, hey, come on, man, we're going to take you to Jesus. And I'm sure, okay, I'm sure he's tried a bunch of stuff. They come, they lower him. Jesus sees their faith and that makes a difference. Now, we've got to be careful because our faith doesn't save other people. Like, no matter how strong my faith is, my faith won't get you to heaven. But my faith makes an impact and can make an impact on you. So I just want to encourage everyone here. I guess most of us know folks that are not Christians, and maybe people that are really close to us that are not Christians. You know, I mean, um, you know, there are people that that I've prayed for for decades. Um, I know there are some folks here who have been praying for the same person for 30, 40, or 50 years. And hang in there, because faith, our faith, makes an impact on others. The Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 7, where he says, hey, if you're a Christian and your spouse isn't, it might be that they'll see your faith and come to Jesus because of you. Our faith impacts others. Verse 6 says this, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. So, Judaism, there's these scribes, and the literacy rate was really low. Not, not everybody could read. These scribes, they were the ones who could read, who could record, write stuff down. A lot of them were Pharisees. Some of them were teachers. But they were definitely kind of the culturally elite. And, um, they were the ones who had a whole lot of power because they could communicate God's message to the people. And a lot of times, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the enforcers. And they were the ones who would go around and say, you're not doing God's law. You're not doing this right. You had to do it. And so for them, if someone were to come in and explain God's kingdom in a way that removed some of their ability to enforce, I mean, I know that you know the, when we have power, sometimes we want to hang on tightly to that. And a lot of times, the less power we have, the more tightly we hang on to it. So these guys are looking at Jesus, and he's a threat because he's going to upset their whole system of doing things and a lot of the influence that they have. So they look and they say, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, all the way through the Old Testament, there's these prophets and God works through them to heal people. I mean, you know, the prophet Elijah and Elisha, God used them to raise a dead person, you know, to heal the lame, to, you know, heal leprosy, to bring rain. You know, there's all this stuff that prophets in the Old Testament do. But you know, one thing that no prophet can do? Forgive sins. No prophet can forgive sins because God is the only one who can forgive sins. And we talked last week about how part of Mark is this whole messianic secret. Like, who is Jesus? So when Jesus looks at him and says that your sins are forgiven, you know, everyone there, and especially the scribes, because part of what they were doing, and, and you know, they, they had power, but also uh, they, they were pretty, pretty devout about making sure that God was protected. I mean, everyone there would have drawn a pretty deep breath and said, whoa, Like, who does this guy think he is? He's forgiving sins. Like, Nobody can do that. The only one who can forgive sins is God alone. So they're questioning in their hearts who can forgive sins but God alone. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in a spirit that they thus question within themselves, kind way of saying Jesus just their thoughts, uh, which is why just know that like Jesus likes for us to pray out loud, but just because you think something... Don't think it's secret from Jesus, right? So Jesus said to him, why do you question these things in your heart? Um, verse 9, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? Now we know that like you can say whatever you want, but it's actually easier to have walk a paralyzed person walk than forgive sins. Um, because lots of folks in the Old Testament... Um, you know God used them to help lame people walk, but only one forgives sins. And Jesus says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. All right, that's Son of Man. That's that's a buzzword in Judaism. Like it's it's that's one of those that like if if you're gonna start a debate with somebody, I mean that's just dumping gasoline and tossing a match to bring up the Son of Man. Because the Son of Man in, in Israelite history, in, Judah, in Jewish history, is a big deal. It goes all the way back to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, we remember um, you know, Daniel you know, Daniel in the lion's den, this is right after that, where Daniel starts prophesying about how God is going to set things right in the end. And in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, this is what we read. Daniel's prophesying and he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days, that's a reference to God, Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So clear back in Daniel, there's the Son of Man, and God was going to give him power in a kingdom that never ended. And so when Jesus said, so that you know the Son of Man has authority, I mean, that's Jesus' shots across the bow right there saying, hey, I am the Son of Man. So the next blank you have is this. The Son of Man points back to God as the ultimate authority. And Jesus always points people to God. Jesus is God. He also always points people to God. The next blank is this. Jesus has just claimed To be God's chosen one. Right here in Mark, you know, it's not much of a messianic secret because Jesus is saying, hey, like the Son of Man, so that you know the Son of Man has power. Jesus is saying, I'm the Son of Man. And Daniel 7 tells you who the Son of Man is. Like he's the one who God gives his power to, who's going to reign forever. And so Jesus says, so that you know I have authority, he says to the paralyzed man, I say to you, verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus says, I mean, I can tell you your sins are forgiven. You're not going to know if that's true or not. And so Jesus is like, just so just you know that I have power, uh, he tells the paralyzed guy, you know, get up, take your bed, and go home. I like this, because especially if it's Jesus' house, Jesus is like, stand up and, and clean up after yourself. Just take your bed with you, please. And so this guy immediately gets up and walks out, and everyone looks at him, and the crowd is just amazed and glorifies God, because Jesus says, look, I'm the Son of God, and and I have authority to forgive sins, and I know that's something I can say, and you're you're just not going to know if that's true or not yet, but so that you can see that that's true, I'm also going to heal this guy physically. And so he does that, and the crowd just glorifies Jesus. And we read over this story, and and, uh, the next blank is this, but this is always just a good practice. When we read about an encounter with Jesus, a good application practice is to see who in the story resonates with us right now and what we can learn from them. So anytime we read about an encounter with Jesus, it's always good to go back and say, man, who was it that really jumped out to me in this story? Because there's always a number of different characters, and we can usually find that we relate with one or two of them. You know, maybe, maybe we relate with the paralytic right now. And, and what's, what's different is that there are different times where we'll go back and read the story. You know, I mean, I, I read this, and, and what I read this week, I found myself resonating with a group of people that was different than it was when I read this story five years ago or ten years ago. And so kind of depending on your stage of life, it's interesting what jumps out to you. Maybe you're feeling like the paralytic, where, you know, you're just kind of helpless and hopeless, and you have somebody that cares enough about you to get you in front of Jesus. And if that's you, man, if Jesus tells you to get up and do something, then get up and do that. Obey Jesus. You know, some of us probably uh, can relate with the friends. You know, we're, we know Jesus has the power to save and heal, and we have a friend who needs that. And these guys, like, they were creative. And they did whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus. Because they knew that they couldn't heal this guy, but they knew Jesus could. And some of us just need that reminder. We have friends who need to get in front of Jesus. And so we just need to ask the question, am I, am I doing everything I can to make that happen? Or am I only doing the things that are comfortable and convenient? Because I, I guarantee like, you know, taking someone up and cutting a hole in the roof is not... Not a great way to make friends, but it's a really good way if you're desperate to get somebody in front of Jesus to do that. Now, please don't go cut a hole in the roof unless it's absolutely necessary, but are we willing to let ourselves be inconvenienced to get people to Jesus? You know, maybe, maybe some of us find ourselves in the position of, of the scribes, and, uh, and that's okay. I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, a lot of my life I can kind of, kind of find myself resonating with these guys because... I tend to be pretty analytic. I like to ask a lot of questions. I like to, for everything to be logical, to make sense, to see kind of the, the trail of evidence or the trail of linear thought leading me here. If you're one of the scribes, it's fully okay to ask questions. So through stuff, and I mean the scribes even at times doubted Jesus, and there, there was nothing wrong with working through that. But if that's you, keep asking questions, because we want to end up as scribes in the place, Nicodemus got to or Joseph of Arimathea these these guys that met with Jesus and then you know followed followed where Jesus led were willing to listen to Jesus and then responded with obedience in the end and so if you find yourself skeptical about Jesus man, keep digging in keep asking questions because Jesus is big enough to answer those and don't just immediately close the door and then some of us are the crowd and one of the things that, that sometimes it's easy to uh, just look over and not look at is the crowd. They saw Jesus move, and then they shared about it. And do you know how encouraging that is? I mean, so we, we're in a culture that, that we tend to be, I mean, just Montana as a whole. Um, and I was born in, in Minnesota. A lot of my family there is, you know, Norwegian. And, you know, a good compliment if you're Norwegian is, you know, that's not too bad. And uh, sometimes we kind of fall into that, but where we see Jesus do something incredible... And we're like, yeah, that's not too bad. But we don't actually share wins. And you you see what that crowd did? They saw Jesus move, and they immediately shared it. And man, it is a whole lot easier to believe that Jesus is living and active and moving if we're sharing how he's doing that. You know, uh, and, and that's different. I mean, you know, we don't brag for the sake of bragging. But we absolutely want to talk about how Jesus is moving and how we see God's kingdom growing. I mean, whether it's through the missions we're involved with, through benevolence, through personal stories, through small groups, Bible studies that we're starting up, any of these, we want to share stories of how we see Jesus moving. Because uh, that's one of the ways that we encourage each other and kind of feed off each other. So the question I'd ask is, is just as you're reading through this, which one of those do you find yourself resonating with? And which one of those that you can learn from? Let's read a few more verses. This just happened. And then Jesus went out again beside the sea, apparently after, you know, Jesus met with a group of people, he's like, I need some fresh air, got to go walk by the ocean. So he went out beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, And he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. All right, if Jesus were to pick anybody to be his disciple, you know, he had, you know, Peter, James, and John, these guys were fishermen. These would have been like pretty good. I mean, you know, not, not like super educated guys, but they would have been guys that like everybody was like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, they, they had a uh, family fishing business, long time, you know, at least a couple generations probably. Everybody would have known him. Everybody would have seen him. It's one of those where people would have been like, yeah, I know that makes sense. I know these guys. These are good, solid guys. And then Jesus walks up to Levi. Levi is not a good choice for a disciple. Um, And here's why. Levi is a tax collector. Um, And Levi is probably pretty unpopular. So Herod the Great was the king of of Israel, um, of Judea, of that whole area. And he died somewhere around 4 BC. maybe, Maybe a little after that, but somewhere around there. And when he died, he had three sons. And so they divided up the kingdom into three different areas. And there was one guy, Herod Antipas, or Herod Antipas, And he got kind of the middle area there. And so he was ruling there, and he would have been the king over the area that Capernaum was in. But the edge of that border would have been the Jordan River, which was right outside Capernaum. And so Capernaum would have been the first city that people stopped at as they were coming into that territory. It would have been the last city they stopped at as they were leaving that territory. And and just like they, a lot of times, you know, people would charge uh, import and export taxes. So Levi, his job was to collect these taxes. Uh, usually he would collect a little more as well if he was a typical tax collector. So he'd collect whatever he needed, plus a little for him. And it was a fairly new tax. And um, we all know how well those go over, right? When we're not charged for something and all of a sudden the price change or there's an upcharge or all of a sudden there's a price or, you know, we have to pay something that we didn't before. So that's the situation everybody here was in is that all of a sudden the taxes are raised because under, under King Herod the Great, there was no, no, like, it was all one territory, so you weren't crossing any borders. But when his three sons took over, all of a sudden they had to cross a border and there's a new charge there. And this guy is the guy who collected. So uh, not a popular person. And Jesus comes up to him and said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And I wonder what the crowds that were glorifying I wonder what their reaction was. Like, hey, Jesus... I know you're new here, but uh, not that guy, right? And this is what happened. And Jesus went to this guy's house. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. All right, so this thing, this whole hanging out with getting Levi to follow him, made Jesus pretty popular with the tax collectors and then the sinners. And, And sinners, and this is the next blank, sinners in Mark 2 Are those who are outside the acceptable Jewish community, those with obvious sin issues. All right, so you know, so we we know everybody's sinners, right? I mean Romans 3.23 teaches us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So so it's not like these guys were tax collectors and sinners as opposed to the rest of the folks who were, you know, perfect and sinless folks. It was these were the tax collectors and the people who didn't kind of fit inside the the kind of righteous mold. That had been built up in the Jewish community. They, they would have been the, the unpopular people, the people with obvious sin issues. And Jesus was talking, and, and Jesus was like, Yeah, but, but like everybody sinned, but these guys know that they're outside. And in, in Matthew 23, if you ever want to read just a, a damning passage for people who try and make the outside look good but have sin on the inside, just read Matthew 23, you know, where Jesus talks to the Pharisees. Where he just says, Look, you guys are whitewashed, but it's kind of like whitewashing a tomb. Like, it might look okay on the outside, but on the inside, you're just dead. And so, Jesus was hanging out with these, these tax collectors and the sinners, you know, the, the people who didn't follow all the Jewish laws, uh, the people who took money from the Jewish, certainly people who would qualify as sinners. But, like, there was, back in those days, there, there were kind of those acceptable sins. You know, like you, you, could, you could do a number of different things and it would kind of be okay um, because you weren't the obvious sinners there. Um, you know, things like the Pharisees, Jesus talked to them about like, you know, being, being hypocritical, like showing one side to everybody, um, but, then, but then not having their heart be the same way. Jesus talked to their Pharisees about, hey, you guys like pray in public just so people notice you praying. Or he's like, you guys don't take care of your parents um, and you don't help them at all because you're too busy, like, strictly tithing each thing that you have and then keeping the rest for yourself. And these Pharisees would say, it's okay. And Jesus is like, you're just not loving people, and that's not okay. Now, I thought about that because I think all the way through, like, there's still today, like, you know, we, we could make a list of people that we would probably qualify as, like, tax collectors and sinners, you know? I mean, we, we could write up a, a long list of people, you know, that, that we see maybe stumbling around on Friday night because they've hit, hit it a little too hard at the bars, you know the, the person who's who's living with their with their uh, with their non-spouse. You know the person who's actively choosing not to follow Jesus. You know, we, we can look at that, but in the church, sometimes, especially those of us who've been Christians for a while, we need to be careful of those things that, that kind of almost become acceptable sins for us. You know, we, we need to be careful as Christians of things like gossip. You know, where where it's too easy for us to end up talking about other people. We need to be careful about slander. We need to watch out for sins like workaholism. You know, um, you know sometimes in our culture we, we can glorify those people who work so hard and, are, and achieve so much at the cost of investing in their family or their marriage or their friendships. Um, idolatry and selfishness, um, which really is just idolatry, right? Someone who, who's choosing ourselves and, and The sad thing is a lot of times we can choose ourselves and still look pretty good. Like we can do little things to make ourselves look better or get ahead and still come to church on Sunday, still come to church Wednesday nights and put the good faith forward. Um, Gluttony, pride. There's something that can can be almost acceptable sins where we know that like they're never acceptable, but it's almost like we give those like, hey, you know, that's... We, we don't give them a free pass, but sometimes we, we look at sins and we're like, well, at least, at least I'm not like one of those people over there. I'm better than that. And the truth is, we're all sinners, and we all need Jesus to save us. And it doesn't matter if, if I'm a little sinner or if I'm a big sinner, because sin's sin, and sin separates us from God. So Jesus looks at the scribes and Pharisees. Verse 16, the scribes and the Pharisees. When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're like, "Why, Jesus, if, if he's really a teacher of God, why is he spending time with these folks? And Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Man, amen to that. And here's the truth. The truth is, we're, we're all sick. We, we all need to be healed. It's just some of us cover it up a little bit better. You know, um, I, you know I, I think about that. I had my annual physical not too long ago. and I mean, I feel pretty healthy, but you go in and you get checked out you know, for, for the stuff that you can't always tell, right? I think spiritually we probably need to be doing that too. Um, because Jesus is like, look, I came here to heal the sick. If you're not willing to admit that you're sick, it's going to be awful hard for me to heal you. And we talked about Mark. One of the themes of Mark is that Mark demands, like Mark requires that its readers decide who Jesus is and then respond to that. Then the truth is, Jesus is the great physician. Jesus came to heal the sick. But Jesus can't heal you if you don't admit you're sick. So what we do is we admit we're sick, we admit that we need a Savior, then Jesus says, okay, that's why I'm here. Jesus heals us. And then Jesus spends the rest of our lives this side of heaven just getting us healthier and healthier and healthier and healthier. And then we spend eternity with Him. This is the other truth about Jesus and sinners, though. Uh, And this is the last blank. Whenever Jesus spent time with sinners, they looked more like Him than the other way around. Man, Jesus always, always, always had an impact on people. And one of the things that we need to think about and we need to be careful of is if we're spending time with people, like one of the just the the honest, tough questions we need to ask ourselves is when I spend time with someone, do they look more like Jesus? Or do I look more like them? When I spend time with someone, do they look more like Jesus? Or does my language, does my jokes, do the things that I'm focused on look more like them? Because every time Jesus hung around sinners and tax collectors, uh, and every time Jesus hung around Pharisees and his disciples, every time Jesus hung around people, they ended up looking more like Jesus than Jesus. Jesus. So like we're we're never gonna have that track record, right? Because Jesus was God. He had he had the advantage of being divine, you know. But for us, one of the questions we always ought to be asking ourselves is: we look and we say, just hey. How healthy am I as a disciple of Jesus? How much of an impact am I making as a follower of Jesus? One of the questions we ask is, when I spend time with people, do they look more like Jesus, or do I look more like them? And, and the truth is, like, if, if we respect someone, if we admire someone, we're going to look a little bit more like, like that person. So when I spend time with people, if they look a little bit more like me, does that mean they look a little bit more like Jesus? Or does that just mean they look a little more like me? Because if they look a little more like me, and that's not like Jesus, then I'm not doing something right, right? So as we wrap up today, we're going to have Ben come lead us through communion here in just a few minutes. As we're wrapping up, a couple questions. One question is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We're going to ask that every single week as we go through Mark because all the way through Mark, Jesus just keeps dropping these nuggets of who He is. Where Jesus says, "Look, I'm the Son of Man. I'm the physician. I came to heal the sick. If you've never before decided who Jesus is, and make that decision today. You know, step one is saying, okay, Jesus, you are the great physician. And step two is saying, okay, I'm sick. I need a doctor. And then we go from there. If you're here today and you've never decided who Jesus is, let's not leave today without making that decision. Um, if you just stay in your seat after we're done or make your way over here by the drum set, we have some folks who'd love to pray with you and talk through what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus. Now, I know most of us in this room that decision. We've already decided that we're sick and Jesus is the healer. It's just that very last one. When you spend time with people, do they look more like Jesus after you've spent time with them? Or do you look more like them? And that's one where we all know what we would like the answer to be. But I'd love for you to take some time this week. Just pause and just really just sit down for a few minutes and just really think that through. If you want to, ask someone who's close with you that you trust and say, hey, like, am I someone who helps people look more like Jesus or not? And if you're not, now, let's figure out how to do that. I mean, there's lots of ways we can do that. You know, some small groups starting up. We have different Bible studies. We spend time with other believers. We spend some more time in prayer. Spend more time reading Scripture so that we know who Jesus is, so we know what to model ourselves after. And we don't have to take giant steps, but let's start taking some small steps that direction. Because at the very end of Mark, Jesus calls His disciples and says, look, it's, it's up to you guys now. you got to go spread My kingdom. Lead people to me. That's what we do at First Christian. You know, we we turn lost people into sold out followers of Jesus. It's one thing to turn people into followers of Jesus, it's another to turn people into sold out followers of Jesus. And we can't turn people into sold out followers of Jesus unless we're sold out ourselves. So let's be those sold out followers of Jesus. Let me pray, then we're going to have Ben come up. Jesus, it's, yeah, it's just a blessing to be able to read. Uh, about how you lived your life here on earth, um, Jesus. Thank you for, for just being wise enough to pay attention to those moments where God puts people, or where God put people in front of you. Jesus, thank you for for just uh, helping us know who you are and who it is that you call us to be. Jesus, I pray that that we would be just a church full of folks who who were sick. And are healed by you and are continuing to get healthier and healthier and healthier Jesus I pray that we would be a place uh, that, just, that just draws near to you and that, and that the more time that we spend together and the more time we spend with people the more and more and more people and, and, then, and then those of us here would look like you just loving us enough to die for us Thanks for for preparing a place for us so that we get to spend eternity with you. We love you, Jesus. We know that you love us more. It's in your name we pray. Amen.